If you would join me right now, we're going to be in God's Word this morning in 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, take the one out in front of you. I want to encourage you to do this. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, take the one in front of you home. Um, But I really, I want you to have it open. So take it out. Um, Even if yours is at home and you're not going to keep the one that you have here. If you're at home, go find it. Bring it back to wherever it is that you're worshiping. um, Because there is so much truth here that we don't have time to go through um, that I want you to have in front of you open as we go through it together. Our reading today is going to be in 1 John chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to think about something that's incredibly precious to you. Just just give you just a second. I want you to think. What's something? What comes to your mind? What is something that's extremely precious to you? Maybe it's something that's really valuable. Maybe it's something like a like an old baseball card that you just take out and look at. It's in a plastic case. Does anybody collect old baseball cards anymore? Gary's laughing at me. Maybe that's not a thing. I don't know. Anybody here have an old baseball card collection? All right, maybe that's not not relevant. Okay, we got at least one person back there that has has one. Remember, I used to have basketball cards, and the ones that were the most valuable are the ones that you keep in a case, and you never take it out. You just look at it because it's precious. It's extremely valuable. Maybe for you, when you think about what's valuable to you, maybe you think of a family heirloom, like a a necklace that you were given that was your great-grandmother's, or a watch that was your grandfather's, and and the style is out of date, and so maybe you don't even wear it very often anymore, but, but you put it on every once in a while, and you look at it, and you admire the glow of the gold and the sparkle of the diamonds, and you remember the picture of Grandma wearing it on her wedding day, or you remember Grandpa wearing that watch when he would pick you up when you were just a young child. What's precious to you? Maybe for you, the answer to that question is a little more vain. Maybe it was your first car. Did anybody feel an affinity to their first car? Show of hands. Does anybody dream someday of finding their first car and buying one again? Show of hands. 1994 Jeep Cherokee. That's what mine was. I would love to have my first car again. For you, maybe you saved up months and months for that first car. And you stood out in the driveway and you just looked at it. You washed it. You looked at the curb. You thought about the freedom. Sure, it burned oil a little bit, and it was a little slow getting started in the cold. But you know what? You were slow getting started in the cold during that season, too. This thing was mine, right? It expressed freedom. I can take it anywhere. No matter what it is that 
that you find great value in, the natural response is the same, right? We appreciate things that are valuable to us. We are grateful for them. And and if they're extremely valuable, we study them. We know it. We protect it. We appreciate it. Well, today is a special day for for my family personally. Our, Our three youngest children, Sophie, Carlos, and Grayson, are all going to be baptized on the same day. And and what I want for them is what's found in our verse today, is their earthly father. What Alyssa wants for them is found in our verse today. What Jake and Evan, our oldest boys, who are their sponsors, want for them is what's found in this verse today. What I hope you want for my kids and for everyone who is baptized into the family of God is what is found in this verse today. And that is that they would find that their relationship with the Father in heaven is the most precious thing there is. And this is an idea that we get specifically from our reading today in 1 John. And so I want to I hash this out with you today. 1 John is a short letter in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle John. And it was written to a group of people that were gathered during divided and confusing and dark times. Now, I know none of us can relate to living in divided and confusing and dark times, can we? But you'll have to stretch your imagination a little bit and just try to put yourself in that place. In this letter, John fleshes out really no new information, but it's, it's a reminder of what it looks like to live in divided and confusing and dark times in the light of our faith in Jesus. And specifically, John is going to suggest that the gift of faith in Jesus and the position that that faith puts us in as part of the family of God should be the most precious thing there is. And so in order to understand it, I want to take you back to another book that was written by the same author, the Gospel of John. Now, John was an apostle of Jesus. He knew quite a bit about Jesus. He followed Jesus personally when he was alive before he died and rose again. And he was the disciple who Jesus loved. Some would argue that he was Jesus' best friend. And that reminds me of my son, Carlos. Carlos is three. He's one of the three that are going to be baptized today. And, and when somebody does something for him, this has been going on for a while now, if you do something for him that he is particularly grateful for, or if you praise him, or if you encourage him, the way in which he will express his thankfulness to you is he will look at you in all seriousness and with total heartfelt truth, he will say, you are my very best friend. <laughs> You are my very best friend. Now, there's some people who he said that early on to. Now, he'll say that to anyone. If you want to be Carlos's best friend, I'm his best friend a lot because I do a lot of things for him. But if you find Carlos after the service today and you get him his first piece of cake, you will probably become his best friend. Now, please don't everybody give him a piece of cake. Don't all of you give my three-year-old a piece of cake, just one. Um, but but, but he, he loves people, and, and that's the way in which he expresses himself to them. John was the best friend of Jesus. They were everywhere together. They walked together. They were best friends. And Jesus loves everyone, but John had a special relationship with him. And so I share this because I think we should lean in differently when we're listening to the way in which John describes 
his best friend. And so if I go to the beginning of the Gospel of John, unlike the other Gospels, just four books in the Bible that tell the story of the life of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and anybody? John, and if you look at the other three, you'll see they all start in a different way. They might start with genealogy, who were the ancestors that led up to Jesus. Or they might start with the nativity story, or the story of the divine conception. But John starts his story a little bit different. He starts his story by explaining the life of Jesus like someone would if they were a friend. I imagine it to be the way that John would speak if he was going to speak a eulogy at Jesus' funeral. You, you, if you know the person, right, you, you might touch on the demographic details of their life, but what you're really going to share in that setting is you're going to share what that person meant to you, aren't you? You're going to share what they meant to you. You're going to share what presence they brought to the people around them. And so John, the best friend of Jesus, begins by describing Jesus this way. He says, the true light, this is the gospel of John, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Have you ever known somebody who you would describe lights up the room when they come in? This is what John says about Jesus. He says, not only does he light up the room, but he lit up the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, this is all kind of harking back to Genesis and the creation story and God creating light, right? And so Jesus came into the world, lit up the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him him how can you not receive the one who brings light to the world well the world had been dark for a very long time and light even good light can be blinding when you aren't ready for it has anybody ever turned the light on in the middle of the night in your bedroom when you're trying to sleep even good light can be blinding When you're not ready for it. And it can be blinding when you don't trust it. And it can be blinding when you don't believe that ultimately that light is good. But at the time that Jesus came into the world, some were ready for it. They were being baptized by John the Baptist. They were repenting. They were turning from their sins. There were those who trusted it. There were those who believed in it. To baptize my children today is to profess publicly and to invite the Spirit of God to make what only the Spirit of God can make possible, and that is that they might believe. And the reason that we want all of our children to believe and that we ourselves want to believe is because of this, verse 12. Yet all who did receive Jesus, this light of the world, who lit up the room to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become, say it with me, children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor a human decision or a husband's will, say it with me, but born of God. For those who embrace the light of Jesus, those who believe, not only did the light light up the room, but his very presence makes it possible for those around him to become family. My children today are going to be welcomed into the family of God. You who profess Jesus are going to receive a sister and two brothers today into the family of God. When you were baptized, you were welcomed into the family of God. And this is not like family. 
I had friends that I grew up with that I would say they were like family. We've got phrases, right? That's a brother from another mother. That's a sister from another mister. This is not that kind of a thing. This is literally, legally, eternally family. When you are brought into the family of God through the light of Jesus, your name has changed. Your future is secure. Your inheritance is the inheritance that Jesus receives. There's no turning back. Verse 14, I want to read one more verse, then we'll go back to 1 John. The Word, which is Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory in the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John the Apostle in his eulogy for his best friend Jesus says he lit up the room. He lit up the room, and he came to bring that light to us. And that light, you want to know what it looks like? It looks like grace. And it looks like truth. And all of us who were ready to receive it, when we saw it, we saw that the reason it came to begin with was to make us part of the family. And that's a pretty powerful thing if you think about it, isn't it? Like, just sit on this for a minute. This is what I'm thinking about on the day that I'm baptizing my children. That Jesus came in grace and truth to make us part of the family of God. And it's not of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will. Our status in heaven on earth is to be born of God. This is what it means to be born again. I, I want to I ask you something. What do you think of when you hear born again? Just think for a second. What, what comes to your mind? I'll tell you what comes to my mind, not having grown up in the church. What comes to my mind is the guy that stands on the street corner when I go to the Brewers game holding a sign and a bullhorn. And it usually says, Repent. <laughs> Be born again. That's what, that's what comes to my mind when I hear it. And, and here's the problem. That message is true. We need to repent. We need to be born again. The problem is when the message is conveyed through a bullhorn, sometimes it might suggest to be born again is something that you and I can earn or that we have to live up to ourselves. And the truth is we can't. The reason that it's expressed this way is because you can't do anything to be born again any more than you were able to do anything to be born the first time. Our youngest son who's going to be baptized today, Grayson, he was born nine months ago. And I can tell you, as an eyewitness to the event, I was in the room. Grayson did very little to be born into this world. Someday when he grows up, I'm not going to sit with him and I'm going to say, Grayson, the doctor said push. And you really pushed. Because he didn't push. He wasn't even facing the right direction. When he came out, he couldn't do anything for himself. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't clean himself. He, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't even change his own diaper. Now he's nine months old. He's trying to change his diaper. And I wish he wouldn't try to change his diaper. He's taking it off. He doesn't know how to put it back on. To be born is to acknowledge that we need someone else for everything, isn't it? When we're born into this world, we can't survive without those around us that God has put in our midst to take care of us. In the same way, the reason that we are taught that Jesus came so that we might be born again is to show us that when we are born again into the family of God, we can't do that on our own either. It has to be the work of God, and that's why the light came. And I want my kids to know that. 
I want my kids, before they can even really comprehend it, to grow up knowing that there is nothing that they can do to earn the love of God and to become sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God has already done it for them. They have been born again. A little later in the Gospel of John Chapter 3, you know, the, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know that verse? It's, it's all part of a bigger conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's open to the light of Jesus. And Jesus responds by telling him that if you want to live in the light of Christ, you have to be born again. And he asks a very logical question. He says, I can't climb back into my mom. And I can't come out and be born again. What does that mean? And Jesus gives him a very practical answer. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. These are the words that we remember in our baptism. These are the words that we remember to be reminded that it isn't just by water alone because water is not enough. I was talking to Sophie and Carlos, they're five and three yesterday, about their baptism, and I told them what was going to be present today. I said, there's going to be water and there's going to be the spirit. And I said, there's going to be water because water cleans us, right? But when you wash your hands, what happens after a while? Sophie said it, she's really smart. She said, I get dirty again. And I said, exactly, that's why this isn't just about the water. It's about the spirit of God. It's the spirit that makes us children of God, children of the light. And the apostle Paul explained it this way. I want to read you this verse, Romans 8, 14, very special verse to me. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. By this we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I love this verse. I love this verse because it reminds me that just as my own family has been woven together through birth and adoption, if you know our story, you know that. It's the same way that God has woven his family together through birth and an adoption. God has chosen to weave us into the family of God. We're all born again, which we cannot do on our own, and we have all been adopted as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, forever changed, forever to be part of the family of God. It's true for me, and I want it to be true for our children. I told our kids, I said, this is your adoption day. Just like we've all had an adoption day. We've been adopted into the family of God. And I want them to know that because just as much as they need to know that, they need to know that I need to know that, that just as I need God's help to be the best father that I can be to my children, they're going to need to know as they grow in years that they have a father in heaven who is the father that I can never be to them. If you've been around St. John's for a while, I've shared this story once or twice. I waited a while to share it because it's embarrassing. This is my, my oldest son, Jacob, when he, he's 13 now, and it was when he was like three years old, we were on the White River Trail going on a hike. Anybody here know the White River Trail? Show of hands. Beautiful trail. And he was at that age at three years old, right, where they like to walk by themselves, and we knew he would get tired, but he didn't care. He's stubborn, and so he got tired, and I put him up on my shoulders, and as we were walking, we got to this point on the trail where we were walking over a bridge that overhung a, the, the river, the actual, you know, the White River that goes through there. 
And I don't remember what happened, but to this, to this day, I mean, it just jars me to think about. He was up on my shoulders, and I was holding on to him, and something happened. I was sweaty. I don't know what it was. And he slipped, and he fell. And he fell right off of my shoulders. And thankfully, he did not fall off the bridge, but he fell straight down on his head. Three years old, up on my shoulders, head down on the ground. And then it was this moment of silence, right? Where you don't know what's wrong, but it was that he lost his breath. It was so painful, and it was followed by this scream because he hurt so bad. And I got down on my knees, and I wanted to help him, but as soon as he came to it, he looked at me, and he did not want me to help. And so he ran to Alyssa, and he grabbed her, and she looked at him, and she's a nurse, and I was so thankful for that, and he was okay, didn't even have a concussion. I don't know how he was spared through that, and he stopped crying after a few minutes, and I just knelt down next to him, and I looked at him, and I started to apologize, and I started to try to explain myself and what possibly could have happened, and he just looked at me with this very inquisitive look, and he said, Daddy, you dropped me. And it was a question. Daddy, you dropped me. Never in three years of his life could he have even considered that I would drop him. Now, just for the record, I have five kids. He's the only one I've ever dropped, okay? <laughs> Not dropped another kid afterwards. But if you know Jacob, you'll know that, that Jacob doesn't quickly forget things. <laughs> and over the next hours and days and weeks and even months, every once in a while, Jacob would bring it up to me. We'd be giving him a bath or putting him to bed, and it would just be random. And he would say, Daddy, do you remember the day when you dropped me? <laughs> And after the third or fourth or fifth or sixth time that he reminded me of that, I realized that I had an opportunity. And I said, Jacob, you're right. I did drop you. And I am so, so, so sorry. And I will do everything I can to never drop you again. I will do everything in my power. But I do know that there is going to come a day where I will drop you again. <laughs> Whether it's, I hope it's not physically, but I am not the perfect father that God is, but you have a perfect father. You have been baptized into the family of God. He is your father. And where I fall short, he will never fall short. He will never, ever drop you. God is with you. You are his first. And friends, when we have been hurt, when we are scared, when we live in a divided and confused and dark world, we need to be reminded of that truth, do we not? And so John reminds the Christians in 1 John, he says, 3, verses, three verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. This is not new information. It's a reminder it's all been said before. It bears repeating, though, because it is precious. There is literally nothing more significant than to be a child of God, that the creator of the universe loves you so much that he sent his son to come into the world, to be flesh, and to live and to die and to rise again, that we might be called his own too. The word see, see what great love. If you remember the old King James Version, this might have been a memory verse for some of you when you were going through Sunday school. It goes, behold, remember that? 
Behold what manner of love. The word behold or see in the Greek, it's the same word that's used to describe the way the wise men looked up at the star in the sky that led them to Jesus. They looked up at the light and they said, Behold, look, the star of the light that lights up the world that has come through Jesus to make us children of God. And God's children are called to behold that truth. Not because we don't know, but because it's so easy to forget. Did you wake up this morning? How many of you woke up this morning and the very first thing that you did when you got out of bed is you said, amen, I am a child of God today. How many of you did that? None, no one did. I'm raising my hand, but I didn't do it. <laughs> and I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I've been baptized. We need to remember And it isn't just for ourselves in this moment, but it's also to be reminded that to be a child of God is to behold what we have to look forward to. Look at the next few verses. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but what we will be has not yet been made known. What we know, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is is pure. The world can be confusing and dark and divided. Our children are being raised in a world with many questions and dangers and sins. You were raised in a world with many questions and dangers and sins. I know we like to look at the future and say, oh my goodness, it's, it's worse than it's ever been. It's been pretty bad in the past too. It's why it's so important that they know And that we know that as children of God, not only are we children of God today, but God is not finished yet either. He is coming back. Jesus is the light. And see, the problem with light is is that things can get in the way of light and they can block light. It's like this this night light that I have here. This is the moon. Here's this light. Do you see it here? It's glowing. Now, if I cover it up with this cloth... Is that light any less bright than it was before I covered it up? It's not. (laughs) There's just something getting in the way of the light. There's no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just the absence of light. It's blocking the light. There's something here that's getting in between the light and those who desire to see it. That thing is called sin. Sin is what blocks the light. And if you're a child of God, you know that you are a child of the light and the light lives inside of you and the presence of darkness outside of your life and inside of your life is a reminder to you that Jesus has not finished removing the barriers yet, but he will. He will come back. And because he will come back in this world, we know that the areas of darkness and sin and brokenness, we need to be reminded ourselves and we need to remind our children that just as God is not finished with them, he is not finished with us. We are a work in progress and so we confess the darkness knowing that when he returns, he will remove it once and for all for all of his children. And when that happens, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is, the unfiltered light for all to see. This is something we cannot do for ourselves, but he can and he will, and we invite him to do it even now. I'll leave you with this. Our, our daughter, Sophie, when she was three years old, she's five now, 
her favorite book was Papa, Please Get the Moon for Me. Anybody here know this book? Uh, if you don't know this book, it's, it's a very popular author. He, he's, the most popular book that he wrote was, was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Remember that one? Um, he, he co-authored and illustrated the book um, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? So this is, this is that same author. Um, and, and anyway, Papa, Papa, Get the Moon for Me is, is, is a story, if you're not aware of it, about a little girl who would look out her window every night and she would see the moon and she wanted to play with it. And so she told her dad, she said, I want you to get me the moon. You ever heard the phrase, like, I want to get my kids the moon? I would get them the moon. This is the story. And I was reading the, the history of the story, and I learned that, that, that Eric, the author's daughter, actually, this is inspired by her because when she was growing up, she would look out the window when the moon would get close to the, to the, to the uh, tree line and it would get small. She would say, I want to play with the moon. And so he wrote this story. And in the story... The father does get the child the moon. He gets up on a really tall ladder when the moon is just small enough for him to grab when it becomes a sliver. And you can see here, I don't know if you can see online, maybe you can get in nice and close, Pammy. He, he takes this big tall ladder and he goes up on a big tall mountain and he climbs all the way up to the top and he grabs the moon and he takes it down for his child, his daughter, to be able to play with. Now, the irony of the story, of course, is that nobody can get up and get the moon. And Sophie loved the story, but I think she instinctively knew the limitations of a father because she loved the story so much and I wanted to do so much for her. I told her I would get her the moon. And I said, do you want daddy to get up on a ladder and get the moon? And little did she know, I went on Amazon and I bought this moon. But I never gave it to her because every time I told her that I was going to go up and get the moon for her, she got scared. She got physically scared because I think she was looking at the picture of this really tall ladder and she looked at her earthly father and she knew how dangerous it was. And as she got older, she would even express it to me and say, no, daddy, I don't want you to fall. And so ever since then, this thing's been sitting in my closet, and I've been trying to think of a way in which I can give the moon to my daughter without her being afraid of her father's limitations. And I think today's the day. Because as I think about her baptism, I realize that she knows what's true. I can never give her the moon, but I can give her something better. I can bring her to the one who hung it in the sky in the first place. Through the waters of baptism and the Spirit of God, she and you and all who believe and call upon his name are invited to be born again and adopted as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Abba, Father in heaven. And so would you join me now as we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank and praise you for coming into the world. that you are the firstborn of the family of God, that you came to redeem us, to pay the price, to remove the darkness that divides us in our relationship with you and our relationships with others. 
that John calls us to live as children of the light, that this should radiate out of everything we say and everything we do and every decision that we make, that we are children of the light, that as Jesus said, the light lives in us and that darkness will never put it out because darkness doesn't exist, only light And our hope is that you will return, Jesus, and that you will take away everything that blocks that light from radiating for all of eternity. I think about Psalm 8. The psalmist writes, When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. What an incredible gift to know that when you set the sun and the moon and the sky There was a crown of your creation that was even more valuable than all of those things, and that is you and me and us as children of God, that our sin and the sin of the world gets in the way. And Jesus, you came down to make a way. Help us never to forget that truth. Help us to wake up every morning and be reminded that you are God and that we are your children, born again and adopted. See, that is the lavished love of the Father that he has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. It is in Jesus' name.